tonight at, at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue down this path of exploring the Word of God. And, and last week I, I, I talked about the Bible and the importance and what happens when we read it. And tonight we're going to talk about Genesis. Um, we'll be spending the next quite some time, year plus, you know, going through the books of the Bible, trying to see how things relate to us that are in the Word of God, you know, that it's not just this big book of rules, even though it, sometimes it seems intimidating because it is a big book. There's a lot of awesome, awesome stories in there and a lot of wisdom that when we learn to apply it to our lives, that it helps us to follow God and it helps us to, you know, handle things in, in different ways than we used to because for me, I know that if I keep doing things the way I've always done them, Nothing but pain and destruction happens to me and those that are close to me. And that when I learn to, to follow God to the best of my ability and I learn to apply the word of God to my life, that my life has been getting better and better. You know, not that anything is perfect, but it's amazing. It's really a miracle of where God has brought me from. And, and it's really because I've spent, you know, time reading through the Bible, you know, since I got saved. You know, and I don't read it every day. You know, I I do read pretty consistently. You know, we get up every morning and read, but, you know, life's life. Sometimes you get up and you got to be running out the, out the door and, you know, and it's important that we, we do get it a time where we have set apart that we are reading the Word of God. But, you know, tonight we're going to talk about Joseph in Genesis, you know, that... <clears throat> His dad was Jacob, you know, and you look at, you know, some of the craziness, you know, that Jacob's name was Israel and, you know, he was a deceiver. He deceived his brother. He deceived his father. He took off, you know, he, he ran away, you know, he found a wife, you know, or, you know, which is funny too, because, you know, he, he had his eye on this girl and, you know, he worked for her dad for seven years and he ends up his dad get or her dad gets him really drunk one night and then instead of letting him marry Rachel he gives him Leah and he wakes up the next morning after consummating his relationship and it's completely the wrong sister you know and he's you know pretty upset you know and he doesn't understand why he had done that but Rachel was older you know and he knew that this was really her only opportunity you know, to get married. These are some of the crazy stories that are in the Bible. You know, like, how can this be in the Bible? And, you know, we, we don't always understand, you know, why some of these things went down the way they went down, but God is moving in the midst of it. So we spend seven more years, you know, working for, you know, their dad, and he, he marries the second sister, you know, and at that time, he, uh, you know, is ready to, to take off and he deceives, you know, his father-in-law and he, like, robs him of his, his you know, his sheep, you know, and, and you know, he, he takes off with both of the, the daughters and one of the daughters steals his idols. So, like, you know, you know, he's a pagan, you know, and he's worshiping God and things are all crazy. You know, and he's more upset that he stole his idols 
but he didn't really steal his idols. His daughter stole his idols. You know, and it's like, how is all this crazy stuff, you know, in this Bible? Well, years have passed. He goes home, you know, he reconciles with his brother, you know, and, you know, he starts having kids. But, you know, the woman that he loves the most, which is, you know, isn't having any kids, and he's having, you know, one kid after another with with Leah, you know, and he can, she can tell that he loves her sister more, so she uses the kids against her sister and makes her feel like she's not worthy. Well, eventually, you know, she conceives, and she has this son, Joseph. And, and Jacob, this is his prized possession. Like, he's been waiting his entire life to have a son with the woman that he loves and you know, all the other brothers, all his other sons, you know, can tell that he's favoring, you know, Joseph. You know, and, and then they have another child. And, and um, But this is, this is his pride and joy. You know, he gives him more attention. He, he you know, he gives him gifts, you know. And uh, God is moving on Joseph. You know, Joseph has these dreams and he tells his brothers and his father what he's seeing in these dreams. And they take it personal they feel like he's being prideful and maybe he was maybe he wasn't maybe he was just articulating what he saw in his dreams but his brothers got really jealous that joseph was getting these gifts you know and and that he was you know they got this sense that he was you know above them you know and he was a lot younger i mean there was you know, his older brothers would have been adults by the time he was born. So by the time he was teenagers, his older brothers would have been, you know, having kids his age. And um, one day they go out and they're, you know, shepherding the flock. And, you know, Jacob sends Joseph out there to, to meet him. And they're so jealous, you know, that he's got this special coat, this, you know, that <clears throat> they end up throwing him in this pit and and there's a little bit of a feud going on through the older brothers and but they're like ready to get rid of this kid you know but they don't want to murder him because then they're afraid that what might happen so they make it look like murder you know they they you know get this coat and they put animals blood all over it so they can take it back to dad so dad thinks that that joseph is dead well, here comes this caravan coming along on its way to Egypt. And they're like, let's not kill him. Let's sell him. So they sell him, you know, to this caravan. And the caravan goes off into Egypt. And, you know, and the families part ways. You know, and, you know, Joseph was a, a young boy, maybe a teenager at this time. You know, and his family just, you know, his brothers, not his entire family, his brothers just, totally betrayed him you know we're gonna kill him didn't kill him but really wanted to kill him you know and their dad you know jacob was heartbroken you know and because he got the the coat back with the blood on it he really believed that joseph had died you know and, and he was in a basically a deep depression for the majority of the rest of his life but joseph gets traded you know 
in Egypt. You know, he's living in this pagan society. You know, they worship, you know, all the, the Egyptian gods. You know, and here's here's Joseph all by himself with this relationship with the one true God that he learned through his father. And he, you know, he was the only one around him that had a relationship with God. You know, and there's times that we're in places in our life where we're not around believers, and yet it can be very difficult, but yet God is asking us to put him forward. You know, and as Joseph grew up, you know, his relationship with God, the wisdom he got from God, you know, staying out of sin because of his relationship with God, he did not get into things that other people around him were getting into. You know, he was sold to this guy named Potiphar. And um, quickly he rose to the top of this guy's. He was a, you know, a government official in Egypt. You know, he rose to the top of his estate and he was running his estate. You know, and being, you know, a lord basically in Egypt, you know, he would have had a very attractive wife. You know, and this wife had her hots for Joseph and she kept trying to sleep with him and you know he couldn't do it because of his relationship with God and because he was honoring the man that he was working for you know he was basically a slave but still you know he put his convictions of what he knew to be true and what he knew to be right in front of you know his desires and eventually you know she cornered him and she was trying to get you know, get him in this position where, you know, he would sleep with her and he like slips away, but she grabs his clothes and he kind of slips out of his clothes and, you know, he kind of runs away, but she's got, you know, his, his clothes. So she goes and tells her husband that he tried to rape her, you know, and I think that personally, I think that if Potiphar would have really believed the wife that, you know, Joseph was really trying to sleep with her, Joseph would have been killed. And I think that in the mercy, but yet saving face, that he had to punish him because he couldn't take the the word of a slave over the word of his wife. They threw him in prison. You know, and, you know, God's hand is upon this because most likely in that day and age, if a slave had done that to a government official's wife, they would have just killed him. You know, so he gets thrown in prison. So he goes from a pit, he goes from slavery, he goes to prison, and he's there for quite some time. But because he's honoring God and because his relationship with God, and even though there's no one around him that's worshiping God or honoring God, and he's in jail with a bunch of criminals, you know, and he's not really a criminal. He was just putting his convictions for God in front of, you know, his desires, you know, he ends up rising to the top of this prison, you know, and he, you know, he's running stuff, you know, people are turning to him, you know, in there, you know, the, the guards are, are trusting him with certain duties and he's organizing things and the, and the prison's running better than it had ever run because Joseph is putting biblical godly principles in place in a place that you wouldn't see it normally, you know, and there's times in our lives when we're put in these types of positions where 
you know, we're working in a place or we're living in a place and, and that no one really around us is believing in the God that we believe. And, you know, it can feel like we're in a pit. It can feel like we're in a prison. There can be people around us that are, you know, trying to get us to to act out on our fleshly desires, our sexual desires, you know, in different ways. And, you know, and, and it's hard. You know, life is not, you know, easy. You know, too often, you know, Christians make this gated community where, you know, we can't be around sinners, but yet we are a bunch of sinners. You know, and we aren't in this world that we we separate ourselves in such ways that we're we're not an influence. And then we judge, you know, and then we're critical of people that live the way we used to live, you know, or are living in, in ways. But the Bible is clear that we're to love people, we're to love our enemies, we're to love sinners, you know, but yet we aren't to indulge in what they're, you know, getting themselves into. And a lot of times we've been set free of similar things, you know, so we know where that stuff takes us. So we don't want to go down those paths either. But, you know, it's important that no matter what place that we're in, that we are honoring God and that we're putting, you know, his word in our lives. You know, it's through Joseph's relationship with God, even though the Bible hadn't been really written at all yet that there was this relationship with God that was passed down from his grandfather, from Abraham to Isaac, you know, to Jacob, to Joseph, you know, and God's moving, you know, in this family, even though there's pagans all around them and there's really no one else that's really honoring God, you know, and they're doing whatever they're doing, you know, and, you know, they're hanging on to, you know, listening to this voice, listening to Yahweh, you know, we're worshiping the one true God where everybody else thinks that they're worshiping the right God. You know, and they're doing whatever they want to be doing. But yet, you know, we're hanging on to, you know, for us, it's our relationship with Jesus. No matter where we go, you know, that we're to live according to what he's calling us to live and and, and honoring the convictions of our heart and, and staying out of, you know, crazy situations and, you know, and even though there might be temptations that come our way that we're we're trying to put God first, you know, and it's not always easy. You know, it, it can be a season. You know, Joseph's in this prison for quite some time, you know, and, and we can be going through some difficult things for, you know, months, years. You know, we don't always know what, what God has in store for us, but... You know, as he's honoring God, God's moving in his life, even though people around him aren't believing what he's believing. But it's funny is that there's these two guys that are in there that used to work for the Pharaoh, you know, and they they have these dreams. You know, and, you know, they're trying to figure out what it, what it all means. And, you know, they, they come and they ask Joseph if, if he could interpret their dreams. He says, well, I can't, but we'll ask God, you know, we'll ask Yahweh. And, and he goes to, you know, into prayer and, he, you know, he gets a word for them and he tells them, like, you're going to get out of jail, you're going to get out of prison real soon and you're going to go back to, and work for the Pharaoh and you're going to die. <laughs> you know, and it's like these two guys must have really loved that word. You know, one's like, wee I'm going home. And the other one's like, what do you mean I'm going to die? 
you know. And sure enough, shortly after that, you know, there uh, one was set free and one was was killed. And Joseph told the one that was going back to, you know, the emperor or to the pharaoh. He said, "Remember me." And sure enough, you know, he gets out and he goes back to work and he's back doing whatever he's doing. You know, he doesn't remember Joseph for nothing, and he sits in there for some more time. He thought this was his get-out-of-jail-free card. You know, he gave this guy a good word. He told him that he was going to get released from prison. He thought he made a friend, and the friend totally turned his back on him because it wasn't really his friend. But before long, you know, that, you know, the Pharaoh has this dream, and he calls everybody, you know, all his wise men and all his, you know, whoever to interpret dreams, and, and they're like, well, tell us the dream, and he's like, I'm not telling you the dream, you tell me what it means, and they're like, no, nobody can do that, you know, and he's like, really threatening to, to kill people, you know, and the one that was in prison with Joseph is like, wait a minute, I know this guy, you know, he interpreted the dream for me, and he tells the Pharaoh, and he's like, go get him, you know, and they pull Joseph out of prison, and you know, and they're like, you know, Pharaoh's like, interpret my dream. And he's like, but I'm not telling you what it is. So, you know, Joseph, not being real, you know, swayed by it, he, he went and talked to God about the, the whole situation that he was in. And, you know, basically, you know, the Lord gives him, you know, the interpretation of the dreams. And he's like, you know, you had these fat cows and these skinny cows, and you had this fat wheat and this skinny wheat, and it means that, you know, the, the kingdom's going to be good for about seven years, but then it's going to go into a famine, you know, for another seven, you know, and, you know, it, it, God's warning you to prepare the kingdom. And the Pharaoh is just overwhelmed and, and you know, and, and just blown away that that Joseph knew the dream and the interpretation. That he takes, you know, Joseph out of prison and puts him basically in command of the entire kingdom. He's second in charge. So, you know, his whole life, you know, he's had these situations where he's, you know, basically kicked out of his family by his brothers. He's thrown into a pit. You know, he's he's sold into slavery. You know, he's, you know, bounced around a little bit. You know, he's thrown in prison, you know, all because of his belief system that he believes that God's going to use him. You know, and, and later on in his life, here he is put in this position where this ruler, who's a pagan, you know, he worships the sun, the moon, the stars, you know, and various other things, you know, puts him in charge of his kingdom, you know. And uh, sure enough, you know, everything goes exactly the way God told Joseph it was going to go. And, you know, he saves Egypt from this, you know, this crazy famine because they started saving properly and he started putting biblical, or, you know, godly principles in place and, you know, that the the famine became so great that it started to infect and, and, and infiltrate all the surrounding, you know, lands that it even affected his family, that Jacob was like, go see what's going on in Egypt, because they're hearing the stories that Egypt's doing okay. So he sends the brothers, he sends the older brothers, you know, and, and the youngest brother, who is the the you know, Joseph's true brother, through Rachel, he stays home because he's hanging on to the only thing that he has left of, you know, 
you know, these sons that he had through Rachel. So the older brothers go and they go into Egypt and they have to go before Joseph. But now, even though he still believes what he believes, he looks like an Egyptian. And there's no way that the brothers would ever think in a million years that that they're coming to the guy that's in charge and it's going to be their little brother that they threw into slavery that somehow that through his relationship with God and honoring God his entire life, now he's running all of Egypt. So they go before him and um, Joseph's blown away. Like he has not seen his brothers. You know, and even though, you know, that, that there's a lot of friction and, you know, betrayal and, and whatnot, that Joseph has forgiven them and he's really happy to see them. But, you know, he doesn't want to let them know that it's really him yet. So he's asking them all these strange questions in a sense, like, don't you have a father? Don't you have another brother? And they're like really curious and they're really skeptical because they, you know, they, they don't believe in a million years that this is their brother and they don't think that they're going to have the favor that they're going to have. And they really are very cautious that they think that somehow they're going to get thrown in prison. So basically, you know, he gives them a little bit of wheat to get by, but he's like, I'm not giving you too much because I want you to bring my other brother and I want to see my father. And uh, so they go home, you know, and which is funny too is because the payment that they gave him for the food, you know, he ends up sticking it back in their sack and he takes it home with him. So they end up giving, getting all this, you know, food for free. And now they're even thinking that they're in trouble because they find it. And they think that, you know, they're going to get killed because, you know, somehow there was a mistake made. And they're going to think that they stole the food. And they don't really realize that God's working in their behalf in the midst of all this. So they go home and they tell them. And they basically don't do what Joseph had said. You know, they they wait until all their food is gone. And then finally it's like, well, what are we going to do? And, and, you know, and Jacob's like, well, go get more food. And they're like, well, we can't go back there without, you know, our brother. And he's, you know, he doesn't want to let go of his other brother because what if this other brother dies? Then I have no sons by Rachel, you know, and this is my heart. So this has really got to be disturbing to the older brothers because they can tell that he doesn't really care about their lives, but... You know, he's, he's valuing this one, you know, son, and which is crazy because the birthright, even though, you know, there's all these older sons and, you know, there's a lot of dysfunction in all of them and there's a million fun stories going through that stuff too as you read through Genesis 25 to 40 or whatever it is, you know, it tells these stories, you know. You know, and uh, it's crazy because they're like, we can't go back or, or we're going to be dead. You know, and so he ends up, they all end up going, you know, and, and they show up and Joseph is just so overwhelmed by what has taken place that his family is there before him and God is, is elevating him to this place where he's bringing restoration and healing to not only his family, but the entire land. And he's taking care of all these pagans by his relationship with God. And sometimes we get confused that, you know, these all these sinners around us, you know, and it's like God wants us to be a light in the darkness. You know, if you have a bunch of light all next to each other, it's all lit up. 
you know, and you can't really tell. You know, obviously we all have darkness, that we all have sin in our life, nobody's perfect. But he wants to use us in places that no one else is. You know, he wants to put us in Walmart. He wants to put us in treatment. He wants to put us in this job. He wants to put us in that job. He wants to put us in our families and, and be a light. And, you know, and to be an example. And to live by spiritual principles. To live by biblical principles. You know, when everybody else around us isn't. You know, he wants us to be different. You know, and it's not easy. I can't imagine that what Joseph went through was easy on any level. But he trusted God in the midst of, you know, his hardships, in the midst of being in the pit, in the midst of being in slavery, in the midst of to being in, you know, prison. You know, and that's, you know, very symbolic for us. I mean, how many times have we been in the pit? You know, how many times have we been in slavery? You know, a slavery to addictions and many different levels. And, you know, how many times has it felt like we're in a prison? You know, and sometimes we've been in prison. You know, I've had an orange jumpsuit on once or twice. You know, and, you know, there's these stories in our lives that are very, you know, similar and run parallel to the people that we read about in the Bible. Like, I personally can see myself in Joseph very easily. You know, that I've had this hard life. And later on in my life, you know, God started to move. And he, he put me in a position, you know, to to rise above. You know, but, you know, I've been in and out of recovery and rehabs and, and been in and out of the rooms for many, many years. But it wasn't until I started honoring God with my life that he began to to position me and to be an influence not only just for my family, but the city, you know, I mean, <clears throat> there's been so many people that have come through these doors to, to come through Celebrate Recovery, and which is now Ground Zero Meetings, and, you know, as I still go to, you know, AA, and, you know, I haven't been to NA in a while, but, you know, I, I've frequented those meetings very often in my life, and, you know, I see how God's moving and using, you know, myself and, and other people that I've had an opportunity to, to work with and become friends with who, who believe in Jesus, you know, that, you know, I remember walking into, you know, the AA meetings in, in this area, you know, in 2002. Now, I was an atheist and I didn't believe in anything that I believe in now. You know, and I was that belligerent jerk who didn't talk about anything that was, you know, of any value that I was just spewing out nonsense out of my face. You know, and anybody that would have been a Christian or anybody that talked about God or anybody that talked about spiritual principles, I was quick to, you know, utter my nonsense and tell them how they were stupid for believing what they believed. But through their faith and their understanding that they needed God in their lives and that that this crazy atheist needed God in his life, that their influence into my life started to begin to, to get me to point me towards God. Now, did I get saved instantly? No. But I don't know who they were. I can't remember back then. I wasn't really paying attention. But there's significant people where God brought people into my life and said certain things that put question marks in my head about this higher power stuff that really began to, to shift the way I think and shift, you know, 
shift me towards God. You know, I always believe that, you know, the one thing that I say is that, you know, AA brought me to God, but my sin brought me to Jesus. You know, and, you know, since God started to, to open up my eyes to see, you know, I knew that I needed, you know, the spirituality in my life. And, you know, I used to say this, you know, saying that, you know, religion is for people that are afraid to go to hell and spirituality is for people that have already been there. You know, and I hung on to that thing for years. You know, later on I learned that it was actually a Native American that said it first, you know, because he was tired of all the Christians, you know, because they were killing everybody. But that's a whole other story. You know, that we need this spiritual relationship with God to guide us out of our pits, to guide us out of our prisons, to, to, to guide us out of the slavery that we're in, and, and that he can use us even when no one else around us is believing in the same stuff that we're believing you know, and it, it's it's really crazy to think that if we honor God, that He could really change the atmosphere around us and the and the people around us. And you know, we get attacked sometimes. I mean, I've had people threaten me, and I've had a guy tell me he's going to burn down my house because I was telling some girl that she needed Jesus, and he was sleeping with her, and she's trying to grow with Jesus and stay pure, and he was trying to get his groove on with this girl and she's trying to stay pure and he's threatening me because I'm influencing her. And I'm like, I'm just teaching out of the book, you know, and it's funny how our lives begin to change. And when we change, there's a ripple effect, you know, that there's spiritual warfare in our lives that sometimes that stuff attacks us. And, you know, I've learned for me that when things get crazy, I just duck my head and say, God, you're the one that can take care of any of this. I can't do it in my own strength. You know, and I've learned to keep my mouth shut and my head low and just trust Jesus and these storms pass. You know, and today now, anytime that anything starts to get crazy around me, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't need to figure out what's going on. I just need to get close to to the Lord. You know, there's a lot of craziness going on in my house last year, almost about this time, about 11 months ago. And all I just did is I just need God. You know, and I pressed in, I read, I prayed, you know, I prayed in silence. You know, I wasn't even trying to pray to move the storm. I was trying to pray for God to to show up in my situation, and he did. You know, things began to shift, things began to change, balance came back. You know, and if it would have happened my way, it would have happened a different way. And God knows, and the people around me know, that things go my way, things are crazy anyway. You know, and so often we're trying to get things to go our way. And we really look at the history of our lives. When we get our way, what happens? Craziness. You know, but when we do things God's way, it's out of our control. We don't understand it. We don't know where we're going. We're just, we're, we feel very uncomfortable. And, you know, and that's when Jesus is like, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Because the only thing that we can hang on to is him. You know, so God's moving it in Joseph's life. You know, and he's bringing, you know, all these different people. He's taking care of the kingdom. You know, he's taking care of all of northern Africa and the Middle East, basically, at this point. Because everybody's coming to Egypt because they're the only ones that got food. You know, and lo and behold, he can't take it anymore. He reveals who he is, you know, and 
there's lots of tears and, and hugs and, you know, and they're happy to see him and they're, you know, I can't believe this is you and yada, 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 you know, and, you know, and, and God had moved so mightily. He ended up marrying, you know, a pagan, you know, he married somebody from Egypt, you know, and he has a couple of kids with him, you know, and something that, you know, it's a verse that stood out to me, you know, and, you know, I throw it out a lot. You may not realize where it's coming from, but it's coming out of Genesis. You know, it's Genesis fifty twenty. It says, what the enemy intended for evil, God will use for his glory. You know, all of Joseph's life, even though God had moved in his life and protected him, the enemy was trying to take him out. You know, one of his brothers might have taken him out. Potiphar's wife was trying to take him out. He might have got a shiv in prison, you know, because he's believing in God, you know, and he's not, you know, bowing into the, the, the Egyptian gods. You know, there's people around us that don't like it when we represent Jesus. And that's just the way it is. You know, if we really look at Jesus' life, they didn't like him too much because he stood up for his relationship with God and, and lived a different way. You know, and we see that in Jesus is that if you really start pressing into God, you know, in that way that religious people even attack us. You know, so it's important to realize that, you know, you may be going through a storm. I may be going through a storm, but, you know, Jesus is the one that controls the winds and the waves. You know, he, you know, we love that, you know, saying that, you know, he never gives us anything that we can't handle. We're like, I can't handle this. And I'm like, well, that's the point of powerlessness is I can't handle it. You know, he wants us in these positions where we can't handle it. And as we release ourselves to him and we do things the way he's asking us to do them, he teaches us how to handle it. You know, as the, the enemy comes in like a flood, he raises the standard. You know, there's lots of times that it feels like the waves are crashing around us. You know, we look at the disciples in the boat, you know, as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, which is crazy to me because, you know, Jesus is like, let's cross the, let's cross the lake. So they get in the lake and Jesus is like, I'm going to take a nap. You guys do all the rowing, you know, and, you know, and, and they get the sails up and they're going across the Sea of Galilee and all of a sudden this crazy storm comes in. Well, most of them were fishermen, so they would have known the signs of the sky and a storm was coming in. So they would have prepared themselves to the best of their ability, but the storm was more than they could handle in their own strength. So even though they're trying to, to navigate themselves across the sea and they were used to being on the sea, it's not like they were taking, you know, people that had never been in a boat before and they're like, we're going to drown. But they go to Jesus like, I can't take it. We're, you're trying to kill us. And Jesus is like, well, where's your faith? You know, is your faith in your ability or is your faith in me? And this is when Jesus gets up and, and calms the sea and the storms. You know, and they're like, who is this guy? Even he can control the situations around us. You know, and there's times that, that God literally puts us in these types of positions where the only thing that we can hang on to is the Lord. You know, and it's like you know, we look past it. And it's like, God, why would you do that to me? And he's like, because if I didn't do that, there would be no way that you'd full, release control fully and trust me. And we hate those types of situations. But yet they're the most beneficial for us spiritually and characterly. 
you know, that our character grows in these types of situations where we can't lie, steal, cheat. We can't hustle. We can't manipulate. All we can do is sit still and trust the Lord. And everything in us wants to run away because I'm a runner. Most of us are runners. You know, we get in situations and we just want to poof, I'm gone. Abracadabra. But God wants to, to teach us to, to go through things that we're suffering so that we, we learn to persevere. We're not running away. We're learning to, to trust in him. We're learning to trust in his word. Our godly character is starting to be built in us. That We find our hope in Christ alone and not in our own strength and not in our own abilities. But yet, when the time comes, he puts us in the right position where our gifts, where our abilities, where our talents that he had given us in the first place can can come alive and that we can be the greatest of influences because through Joseph's life that he was training him up to be this leader. He was training him up to, to represent him even though he went in the pit, even though he was a slave in Potiphar's house, he rose to the top of Potiphar's house, that he was running his estate, you know, and then sin tried to come in his life. He rejected it. He ended up in prison. He honored God through his time in prison. God raised him up to run the prison. You know, but he did it in such a way that he had favor with God and favor with people. You know, that he was humble, that he didn't try to throw his weight around. And then eventually God put him in this position where the king of the land was using him to, to run his kingdom. You know, and there's going to be times that we we go through hardships. That's just life. You know, becoming a Christian is not easy by any means. You know, it's, I personally believe it's harder because there's this this thing in our hearts that says, I want more Jesus. It's not about the rules because we can obey rules and still be wicked. You know, but God wants to move in our hearts that I don't want to go back to that stuff because I want more Jesus. And I know if I go back to this, then I, I lose this relationship with God. It's not that God will abandon me and forsake me necessarily, but I know that this stuff gets infected into my heart and it's hard for me to grow in my relationship with God because I'm focused on sin and I feel all this condemnation. And yes, I can repent. And yes, his mercy is every new, new every day. And yes, there's, his grace is sufficient, but my brain gets in the way of me getting closer to God because I'm still, now I'm battling this double mindedness because I want to be in the world and I want Jesus. And what do I do? And I'm going back and forth. And, you know, in James, it tells us that, you know, you know, that we'll be destroyed if we try to live in that place. You know, and so often we're trying to, to live in, in, in sobriety and, and, and still do some dope fiend stuff. And we're trying to live in the kingdom and live in sin. And it's like, ah, oh, I can't, I'm not happy in either place. And we have to truly surrender to God and say, I'm ready to do it your way. And it's scary because we have to release control. We have to surrender our will so that God can, can grab a hold of us completely and take us where he wants to take us. You know, and, you know, it's true for us. You know, for me, this story makes a lot of sense. And I would say that it makes a lot of sense for some of you that we've been through similar situations. You know, and this is why it's so important to be reading our word is because as we're reading these stories about people, even though it's thousands of years ago that this thing took place. You know, there's aspects of his story that hit home and it helps us to see that, 
I don't have to be perfect, and God uses me, but yet, as I honor him, and, you know, I'm sure that Joseph wasn't perfect. You know, no one's perfect, you know. But when crunch time came, you know, he made the godly decisions. He lived by the spiritual principles so that he was able to, you know, get through these, you know, trials in his life. And that one day we're all going to look past look over our past and we're going to see like what the enemy tried to do to take us out. God somehow delivered us and his name is glorified. Like I know I should be dead. And I always throw out, throw it out that most of us know that we should be dead. And yet here we are. Why? I don't know. I don't know what your why is. Half the time I'm not sure of my why. But I know most of the, the painful things that I've been through in my life you know, as God has delivered me from the pits and the slaveries and the prisons, that my testimony now is, is glorifies the Lord and it gives people hope. So as they're trying to get out of their pits and their slaveries and their prisons, you know, they know that there must be some freedom in Jesus because this guy shouldn't be doing what he's doing. You know, I don't, you know, I didn't want this. This isn't what I would have chose for my life. But as I surrendered to God, he, he put me in this position to, to be an influence, you know, in our church and in the city. You know, I go into different organizations and I tell people about Jesus. I go into places that don't want Jesus and I tell people that they need Jesus. And they're like, thanks for coming in here. And I'm like, not a problem. And it makes no sense because Jesus is getting preached in places that Jesus doesn't normally get preached. Why? Because God has used me to to walk through certain situations so even though I'm operating in the Pharaoh's land, you know that you know that this world is crazy and it's full of sin. That they see that there's something different about me and there's something different about us, and you know we have to you know brave the storm. We have to weather the storms. We have to press into Jesus. We have to you know duck our head and and, and be still sometimes. And God takes us through. All these difficult, difficult things because he wants us to see that he is God and that he will take us through all these things and deliver us. You know, it's not, it's not easy sometimes. You know, we want it to be easy. We don't want to be out of our comfort zone. We just want everything to go our way and, and, but that's not life. And we have to have the reality of that even though I have Jesus, people around me don't necessarily have Jesus and Life's life. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. You're going to have suffering. That's just the way life is. You know, if it was all this, you know, pink cloud because I got Jesus, there'd be way more Christians and we all just be praising the Lord and hallelujah through our day. But that's not reality. You know, there's days that we got to just hang on to Jesus and that's all we got. And we're like, I'm not even sure if I was saved yesterday, but we're going to try this a little better today. You know, you know, and you know what? His grace is sufficient. His mercy is new every morning. That He paid for our sins. You know that yes, that we're going to go on to have salvation and, and eternity with Him. But He wants us to walk in victory here. He wants us to be lights in the darkness. He wants us to not hide our light. He wants us to be a city on the hill. He wants us to be the salt of this earth. He wants us to change our environment. Because we have him in us. The same power that raised Christ from the grave dwells within us. He wants us to know 
that whatever we go through, he's got us. And there's times that it feels like, I can't do this. And you're right, you can't. He can. He can. So when we get to these places where it's like, I don't know what else to do, duck your head and shut your mouth. Let the storm pass and trust Jesus. You know, why? Because my feet want to run away. Or my head wants to run away. You know, and the saying that, you know, God has led me to is that my, I'm so grateful that my feet obey Jesus better than my head. Because there's so often that my head wants to run away, but my feet won't move. And to me, I think it's because my feet are planted on the rock of my salvation, which is Jesus Christ, and my brain still needs to be renewed on a daily basis. And that is why I read the Word of God, because my heart is full of Jesus, but my head tries to overthink things. You know, and I have to simplify it and say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. You know, and I can't, you know, I can't say what Joseph was going through, but I'm sure that there was nights it's like, I don't understand this. I I believe in you. I, I believe in you, Yahweh. No one else does. Why am I going through this hardships? You know, he's like, I got you. And then when the time was right, his perfect timing, he orchestrated this this series of events where then Joseph's relationship with God is brought to the surface. You know, and the Pharaoh even honored him in the sense that, I don't know what you got, but your God is awesome. There's going to be times that people don't necessarily want Christianity, but they're like, you and your Jesus... Or A-okay in my book. And it's because of the way we walk and the way we carry ourselves and the way we serve and the way we love and the way we, we handle hardships and the way we don't run away and the way we don't backbite and the way we don't lie and the way we don't steal and the way that there's a list of things that, you know, our godly character will emanate from us and influence those around us. So I just really hope that you are encouraged by the story. You know, that no matter what we go through, that if we hang on to God, that he'll get us through the the most difficult times. And there will be a day. I absolutely believe it. I've seen it in my own life, and I know that I'll be professing this again and again through the rest of my life, that no matter what the enemy is trying to do, that God will be glorified in our circumstances if we just hang on to him. Just bow your heads with me. Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, I I pray that you'd reach into our pits. You'd reach into our slavery and you'd set us free. You'd break our chains of sin. You'd break our chains of fear and anger and lust. Lord, that you'd set us free from the prisons that we put around ourselves. You know, Lord, I just ask that you would be a light in the midst of our darkness, illuminating any of the the hardships or roots that need to come to the surface so that we can have more of you. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you'd have your way. Fill us up. Fill us to overflowing, Lord. Help us to grow in our relationship with you. Help us to honor you, even though when things are difficult, Lord. And in worst case scenarios, Lord, help us to just duck our head and let the storm pass by, Lord. And help us to utter the words that I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.